James chapter 5 is where we're at. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through uh, uh, 18. Uh, this may be the last sermon in the book of James. We may have one more, I'm not sure. Um, but we're closing in on the end of our series in James. Uh, it's been a super blessing to me. And I am very challenged by today's sermon. I actually think today's sermon is going to have a big impact just on a shift maybe in um, some of the things that, that we do at the, in our ministry and particularly with our small groups. And particularly for those who aren't in small groups yet. I, that, those are the people that I'm super concerned about in regards to this message today. We're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Let me read that, and then we'll jump in. We're going to be pressed for time today, and so we're going to move quickly and probably just abbreviated in some ways, okay? James 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Father, we thank you for this passage. God, we thank you for the incredible privilege and honor to pray. God, we do pray for our brothers. God, right now... Uh, overseas who are hurting, who are in tragedy and persecution. And we pray, Father, that you would release the power of your Holy Spirit, God, into their lives and into their churches. And, God, that you would just move them forward with an indomitable power, God, with an unstoppable power, because you are an unstoppable God. And, Father, we pray this morning that you would help us, God, to, uh, to get off of our... Uh, of our laziness, God, and that we would, we would aggressively seek to advance your kingdom uh, with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would help us to pray for one another, to pray for those who are hurting, to pray for those who, who are struggling, who are weak, who are in sin. Father, we pray that you would give us Christ-centered relationships that would enable us to care for each other really well. Father, please bring a movement in our church of, of deep care uh, for one another. Father, we ask that you would guide us through this passage, that you would reveal your truth to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're looking at these, uh, what are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, these six verses, you'll notice that prayer is mentioned in every one of them, okay? So you got six verses here, and in every verse, there is some exhortation to pray, okay? So it's obvious that even though we're, we're, we're dealing with, with the suffering and, and joyful and sick and in sin and confession of sin and Old Testament prophets, you got a lot of topics, a lot going on here, but really there's one kind of unifying theme in this, in this section, and that is prayer. And, and you'll notice there's this Godward responsiveness in this, in this passage. Um, I, I, I love that, that James is almost saying, hey, in any and every circumstance, you ought to you respond to it in, in, in some sort of Godward response, some sort of prayer. And, and so you'll notice, he says, if you obey these six verses, okay, or I'm saying this, if you obey these six verses, you're, you're going to find yourself constantly in prayer, okay? 
So, so just real quickly, if you, if you pray when you're suffering, and you pray when you're cheerful and happy, and you pray when you're sick, and you pray when you're spiritually weak, and you pray when you're in sin, and you pray when your brother and sister is in sin, and when they're sick, and when they're weak, if you actually just do that, you're going to find yourself in prayer all the time, okay? You're going to find yourself having prayer be a significant part of every day of your life, really, of, of most moments of your life. I mean, when are we not in one of those situations? When, when are you not in the middle of one of those, all right? Right? Especially if you have kids in February. Some of you have had the sick kids for 40 days and 40 nights. And so, you know, like, like when, when would this not apply? All right. So quickly as we, as we move through this, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? All right. The word suffering means afflicted, persecuted, in trouble, in tragedy. James says, when you suffer, you ought to respond in continued persevering prayer, okay? When you're, when you're troubled, when you're persecuted, when you're abused, when you've got wicked treatment against you, we just talked about, we just prayed about a situation that would absolutely be in that, you should continue in prayer. You should persevere in prayer. Strangely enough, okay, I, I don't know why, this is one of those mysteries, okay? I, I rank this up there right with why it's so hard for husbands and wives to pray together, okay? This is one of the, the great mysteries of, of the Christian cosmos is, strangely enough, Many times when people are suffering, they don't persevere in prayer. Uh, you would just think it would be an automatic. You would think, well, that's when people pray, is when they're suffering. And, and, and I would say initially it is. Initially it is. But the problem comes when the suffering goes long, right? Look, when there's a prolonged, lingering period of difficulty, of struggle, my experience with people is that they stop praying. They stop praying and they start grumbling. Remember up in verse 9, you know, Papa James has already dealt with that. They start grumbling. They, they get a low-grade fever of kind of simmering anger. Um, when, they, when, they, when they suffer over a long period of time, they begin to wallow in self-pity. It is hard to pray effectively when you are in self-pity. It's just hard to do. Um, they, they begin to lash out at God in unbelief. They begin to pull away. And then another great mystery of the cosmos, whenever people go through long periods of suffering, they pull out of the very relationships that would keep them moving forward in their faith. That's when you see people pulling out of DT groups, you see people pulling out of small groups, is it when they have a long, prolonged period of suffering, right? And so, so James' exhortation here, though it would seem obvious, I actually think is hard to do, all right, to to persevere in prayer in response to hard times. In other words, when hard times hit your life, you should respond, you should respond in prayer. And uh, you might ask, well, well, what, what, what does prayer do? You know, why, 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 should, why should I respond in prayer? The, the better question, according to this passion, passage, is what can prayer not do, all right? I mean, that, that's really the, 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 the thrust here. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, okay? You see that little phrase there? Great power as it is working. And then it gives uh, the, the example of Elijah. Before we get to Elijah, let's just take a quick trip through the Bible, all right? Let's just skim around in the Bible here, all right? In response to prayer, Hannah conceives the problem. Prophet Samuel, Peter walks out of a maximum security prison with the cell doors just flinging open on their own as he reaches each one of them, okay? The angel of the Lord kills 85,000 Assyrian soldiers in a night 
who are besieging Jerusalem in response to Hezekiah's prayer. Daniel interprets a dream that saves the life of of he, he and the other Israelites with him in Babylon. A battalion of enemy soldiers are blinded so that Elisha leads them right into the Israelite army through prayer. Through prayer, a thief is ushered into paradise in his dying breath, and through prayer, Fire falls from heaven and consumes Elijah's sacrifice on Mount Carmel. And now the example in verse 17, which is again of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he's just like us, okay? Don't put him in a different category. Don't think, well, that, that's true for Elijah, but it won't be true for me. That's exactly what James is saying. He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave forth rain. All right? The example that James gives is the worst drought probably in recorded history was brought in, okay, according to Elisha's prayer, as a, as a discipline to a wicked king Ahab and, and an idolatrous uh, Baal-worshipping Israelite people, all right? And then it ends. The, a three-and-a-half-year drought ends through the prayer of Elijah. And James says, don't you see? That's where the power is. That, that's what he's saying. Prayer taps into this limitless power of God. And so, so, so guys, what we see here in the, in the scriptures is that God responds to prayer. He may respond to it with divine healing or with nearness to himself or with transforming grace or with supernatural strength or with a phenomenal endurance. But, but it's not just suffering when you ought to pray. It is every occasion of life that you ought to respond to God in prayer. Okay, the next thing he says, he, he says in verse 13, is anyone suffering, let him pray. And then he says, is anyone cheerful? So he goes clearly to the other end of the spectrum. Is anyone cheerful? This may be the hardest one of all. For us to persevere in prayer when everything's going great. When we've had these huge blessings in our life and things are smooth. I really think that from James' perspective, a biblical perspective, praise is a form of prayer. I think he's saying pray, but, but he's just saying when, when things are good, you ought to praise, right? When Jesus taught us how to pray, what's the first thing he taught us? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is that? That's prayer. Yeah, uh, that, that's praise. It, it, it's praise in the midst of prayer. The entire psalm book, which is, is really the book in the Bible that teaches you how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, read psalms. You got, what, 150 long examples of how to pray, okay? If you just pray through the psalms, here's my challenge to you. If you don't know how to pray, start praying through the psalms. And if by the time you get to 150, if you don't know how to pray like a champion, then your money back, okay? Money back guarantee right there, all right? Uh, I'll, I'll preach this sermon in reverse, and you can have it back. But it, it won't fail, all right? Like, like, literally, if you don't know how to pray, open up your psalms and just do what they're doing. Like, just read what they did and do exactly what they did. I mean, that, that's how you, how you pray, and, and, and much of the psalms is praise, okay? It is this, is this exclamation of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his wisdom and his power. It is this confidence that God is going to do everything that he promised he was going to do. Okay, so, so if, if you are cheerful, if there are good things in your life, and, and it doesn't even have to be good things in your life. Man, I was thinking about Paul and Silas. Man, here they are, wounds oozing from being beaten, chained to a, a, a dungeon cell, you know, in the darkness. What are they doing? They're singing hymns to God. And, and, and so, folks, James says when, when, you are, when you are cheerful, then you ought to respond to that in praise. Now, he says next, if you're sick, okay, Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. When I first designed this sermon before I knew about Pastor William, 
I really had a bunch in here um, trying to deal with the thorny issues. This is a thorny passage for a lot of people. Um, it seems like to some people that, that James is saying it's kind of this guarantee that if you're sick and you pray right, that you're going to get well. And so a lot of people really have a problem with that. And so there's a whole group of people that say, you know, James isn't really talking about physical sickness here. He's talking about spiritual sickness. He's talking about spiritual weakness. He's talking about... Um, um, depression and despondency and being in sin. And, and, and honestly, there, there's a lot of evidence for that in this passage. You know, when, when you look at the word that's used for sick here, about 60% of the time, it's translated as a physical sickness. And about 40% of the time, it's translated as kind of a spiritual weakness. Like if you're weak, okay? Um, it's kind of like the English phrase, I'm hurting, okay? So if someone says, if I tell you, man, I talked to Tony the other day, he says he's really hurting. Hey, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that he's, his gout is acting up and he's in physical pain. He has a physical sickness. It could mean that he's depressed. You know, he's just like discouraged with life and, 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 this, and you know, he just, just had it and he's fatigued and he can't go on. It, it could mean that, that, that he's sad. It could mean that he's grieving. You know, it could mean that he, he's just still grieving the loss of his dad. You know, it could mean a bunch of things, right? Like I'm hurting could mean, okay, those, those are the kind of words that are used here. And, and in fact, the second word in verse 15 that's used for six, it, the only other time it's used in the New Testament is in Hebrews 12 and it's used for weakness, like, like fatigue, like weariness, all right? In verse 16, when it talks about healing, all right? So in verse 16, when it says, um, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Actually, that word is, is primarily used for spiritual healing. So it's used in passages like, um, like Hebrews 12. Uh, let me find that for you real quick. Hebrews uh, 12, and uh, I think it's verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what, may be, what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. When you read the context of that, it's, it's, it's spiritual. It's, it's not physically. It's, it's actually, you know, those of you who are weak, those of you who are in sin, those of you who are stumbling, those of you who have doubt, you know, that, that, that's, what he's, that's what he's talking about, right? Um, 1 Peter 2.24 is a, a famous verse um, that, that uses this image of physical healing, but really we know he's talking about ultimate spiritual healing. healing. It talks about Jesus, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Is, is that talking about I'll be healed of the flu? No, it's talking about I, I'm healed of sin that will kill me forever, right? He's, he says, die to sin, right there in the verse. Die to sin that you might be healed by Jesus, all right? So you, you got these two camps about this verse, okay? One camp says, no, this is physical healing. Another camp says, no, 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 it's spiritual healing. All right, here's what I'm going to do. This is what I do most of the time, by the way, if you've, you've been with me most of the time. I, I, like, I'm just not a big deal maker about either of those. I actually think it, it includes both. I, I can't imagine that it doesn't. I don't know if I just look at life differently than other people, but, but here's what I've seen. Physical sickness can and does play a role in spiritual things. Do you agree with that? You know, when, when, you, when you have the stomach flu, is it difficult for you to hope in God, you know? Like most of the time, I'm just saying, just take me now, God. You know, like, like I don't want to go on. Like, like when, when, when you have constant pain, does that affect you spiritually? Does it affect your prayer times, affect your service to God? It absolutely does, okay? Physical sickness is intertwined often in spiritual struggle. Number two, sin absolutely plays a role in some some physical sickness, not all, right? Sometimes, you know why you got the flu? 
Because you were walking into McDonald's and somebody had a big sneeze cloud right before you walked in. And you walked in and you sucked it all in, man. And you got the flu, okay? You, you didn't sin. You walked into a sneeze cloud, okay? But there are other times where your sin breaks down your body, all right? There are other times where, where your sin actually has a physical effect on you. You know, just in real things, you know, like, man, if... If you're, if you're driving drunk and you hit a, go off the road and hit a tree and, and, and your arm gets severed off, you know what? You, your sin caused your physical ailment. But, but even, even from a just strictly spiritual standpoint, there's a great verse in 1 Corinthians 11.30 where Paul is talking about these people that were abusing the body of Christ. They were, they were not loving the body of Christ well and they were abusing the Lord's Supper. And he says, some of you are sick and died because of this. Right? And, and so absolutely, sin plays a role in our physical lives. Now, on the other way, let's go the other way now. Many times, physical sickness is actually something that can bring people to Christ. It, it can actually bring people to live. I've seen that happen. I've seen people get sick and, and, and realize their, their fragileness. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? I'm going to turn to God. You know what? I, 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 I'm going to die one of these days. I'm weak. There are things that I can't control. There are things. In fact, I, I, you see places in the scripture where God puts people on a sick bed in order to get their attention. All right, so here's what I'm saying. Aren't those two intertwined? I, I see no need to try to separate those and say, well, James is only talking about this, or James is only talking about this. I'm saying, hey, I think James is talking about both of them, and it seems incredibly obvious to me, especially with verses like 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Like like James is saying, hey, there's a sin element here at times. Now, don't get goofy, and, you know, anytime somebody has a rain nose, be like, hey, what are you sinning, man, you know? You got allergies? What are you doing? You know, huh? What? I mean, let's not be Job here or Job's friends here, okay? So obviously not that, but what we're saying is there's, a, there's obviously a connection between our physical lives and our spiritual lives that I think James is addressing both of those. I think they're intertwined. Here's what's clear, okay? Here's what's clear that I really want to hammer home to you. In this passage and in the Bible as a whole, especially in the New Testament when it talks about the church, those who are strong are supposed to help the weak, okay? Small groups, are you hearing this? Those who are strong are supposed to help the weak. You're supposed to pray for and encourage and give what is needed to those who are weak. There's this great passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. I've, I've always thought this was a great kind of... Uh, condensing of these truths it says and we urge you brothers admonish the idle encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with them all all right he lists a whole bunch of situations there and he's like hey man you know go go meet the need of these people that are struggling in this way whether it's in weakness or whether it's in sickness or whether it's in sin or whether it's whatever it is you you go and minister to them and and that's why james says here in, in james chapter five he says if anyone is sick he says you know call the elders let, let him call the elders of the church. In other words, call your spiritual leader, okay? Now, here, here's where, here's where you, you got two sides of this deal that we got to address this morning, okay? I, I really think this is a scathing rebuke to our church that we need to be out more praying for those that are hurting, okay? Like, we, we, we need to give a portion of our evening, okay, to say, man, I'm, I know someone's hurting. I'm going to get over there and pray for them, okay? So there's, there's that. We need to go, okay? We need to have this ministry of that person's hurting. I don't know how to solve it. I don't know the answer for it, but I can go over there and pray for them. All right? Second, it's the other way. 
When you're hurting, you, you, need, you need to call your small group leader. You need to call your discipleship group. You need to, you need to call your pastor. You need, you need to tell people. You need to tell people. Man, uh, man this, is where, this is where a church of 100 works differently than a church of 600. All right? I mean, that's, that's why we've got to have small groups. We've got to have DT groups. We've got to have these things to, to care for people because you can't, there, there is a limit. There's a ceiling on the number of people that you can keep up with every week. And, and that's, 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 here's my push for small groups. Get in one. You're like, man, I don't know. Like, I, they just discuss questions and I already know all the answers to them. Praise God for you. Man, I love people that have all the answers. I worry about them, but I love them. Okay, but how about this? You got all the answers, sweet. Would you go anyway so that you can get connected with a group of people that you can care for and that can care for you? That's my push there, okay? But call the elders, call your spiritual leaders. Um, but, but, but notice, you might say, well, it's just talking about pastors there. It's only about, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't do that. Notice, if you, if you just walk through these verses, he tells you, if you're sick, you ought to pray, okay? If you're suffering, you ought to pray so that you personally ought to pray. And then he says, you ought to call the spiritual leaders to pray. And then in verse 16, he says, pray for one another. That's everybody. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So this doesn't let anybody off the hook, all right? So when you're suffering, when you're hurting, when you're sick, call people in your life to pray for you. Husbands, ask your wife to pray for you. Wives, ask your husband to pray for you. You know what I found about marriage? Uh, Em and I could testify to this. Most of the time, when one of us is weak, the other's strong. I mean, God kind of pairs that together, you know? I don't know how many times, like, she's had it, you know? I'm done, you know? I have those kids, and I'm like, hey, honey, it's okay, it's okay. They'll turn out, you know? And, And then when I've had it, you know, I'm done. She's like, hey, let, let me, can I pray for you? You know, that's a scathing rebuke sometimes. Can I pray for you? I can tell. I don't want you leaving the house like this, you know. But sometimes when, you know, I mean, man, it's beautiful when marriage works that way, you know. So, so have, have people pray for you, your friends, your father, your mother, your discipler. Call them to pray. You pray for them. This is about Christ-centered relationships, Okay. Let's quickly, man, we'll quickly move on here. Um, we're just not going to get very far. Um, anointing them with oil, okay? That's another controversial passage. What is that? Is that some kind of, where do you get this magical oil? That might be what you're asking, okay? Um, let's put this in context. What is he talking about here? I think he's talking about giving practical relief to people's suffering. Okay, look, look at Luke 10. Uh, Passage you're all familiar with, Good Samaritan, right? Guy that gets beaten, thrown in a ditch, robbed. He's laying there bleeding. And what happens? It says the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. This is Luke 10, 33 and 34. And when he saw him, he had compassion, verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, right? Wine was the antiseptic, oil was the medicine, all right? That's what they have, all right? He's, he's administering first aid. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, uh, God condemns the nation of Israel spiritually. He says, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. In other words, when the Bible talks about anointing with oil, it's talking about Tylenol. It's talking about, you know, first aid, bandages, uh, antibiotics, okay? Now, now, some of you, you like to carry around a little oil and, and, and as a kind of a a representative, you know, expression of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, the anointing with oil is kind of a representation of the Holy Spirit, and you want to anoint people as you pray for them. Awesome. I, 
I don't care. Yeah, that's good. I actually, I actually have some. When people ask me to do that, I, I will gladly do that, okay? But I think the point that we don't want to miss here is, is that, that this is a practical expression of meeting a need, okay? When, when, when the pastor we just talked about that I showed you a picture of earlier, when he, when he had what happened to him, okay, when he, when he was beaten, don't you think that the church, you could see, actually, did you see that guy's hands? You could see the church doing that right then. Right? Did you see the hands above his head that had bandages? Like, like they were immediately, you know they were praying for them. What else were they doing? They were stopping the bleeding. Right? They were, they were maybe they had oil, I don't know. But they, they were not, so it's, it's, it's both those. All right? It, it's, there's both a physical aspect there of meeting a practical need. And I think there's a spiritual aspect there, kind of a representation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit to help. So I think both those are true. Um, but, but notice it is done in the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? That's the, that's the character of Christ. Anoint them with, in the name of the Lord. So in the character of Jesus. In other words, think of it this way. Do what Jesus would do. When someone's hurting and they're struggling, man, do what Jesus would do. That, that's in the name of the Lord. Like, like follow his character. Follow his, his lead. What, what would he do to that person? That's what you ought to do for that person. Please don't see this as a blanket equation that everybody is going to be healed. Okay, that if, if you got if you do the formula right, man, guys. I mean, we we had a we had a we had a night this week where two of our guys came into the emergency room within about an hour of each other. And there were people that were praying for both of them fervently, diligently, and and one is okay and, and one passed. Do you not think that these guys were praying for Pastor William? Man, absolutely they were. In the passage we just read in Revelation said there'll be more martyrs. In other words, there'll be people that will die. Why? Because until Jesus returns, everyone's gonna die. This, this is my problem with faith healers. I'm like, hey, show me the guy that's 253 years old and I'll believe that there's a magical formula for healing people. Actually, I still might doubt it. But anyway, it's just, it's, it's not true. It's not true. I mean, the scripture says that, that it's appointed to man to die. All right? It's not God's plan that we waste away in our sinful flesh for millions of years. It's God's plan that we be tethered to Jesus, that our life be hidden with Christ and God, that we set our minds on things above, that our citizenship be in heaven, that we believe what Paul said in Philippians, that, that, that it's better, it's better. I'd rather be with the Lord. We believe what he said in Corinthians, that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that's better that we look for the coming of Jesus when he will raise the dead and put glorious resurrection bodies on us and we'll live in the new heavens and new earth forever and ever. That's the hope, and that's the glory. It's not that, man, I'm going to live, you know, God's going to keep me going. You guys can keep praying, and, and I'll be 110, you know, you know, zombie-looking thing. Man, I don't want that. Take me to glory, you know. I mean, that, that's, that's God's plan. There's going to be a resurrection. And there's a new heaven, a new earth. Number two, God will always respond with the power to save the weak and weary. You know, when he, when he says the prayer of the, the faith will save the one who is sick, that word save, man, does that not remind you of salvation? Does that not remind you of God's strengthening faith, of him, of him delivering us from our sin and our death and our corruption through the power of his resurrection. Number three, the prayer of faith. He talks about the prayer of faith here. I believe there are certain times when a person is responding to the word of Christ to raise up a brother. 
Okay, now think about this. Faith is a response to the truth and character of God, right? Um, that, that's, that's what faith is. Um, so, so in other words, faith is always in the will of God. Like, like faith is never, hey, God, this is what I want. Let me put in my order for you, and now you do this. You do this because it's what I want. That's not, that's not faith. Faith is, God, I want to discern your will. First John chapter 5, verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. According to his name. That's the way the Bible puts it. According to his name. According to his will. In other words, faith is always responding to the will of God. You know, so it, with, with, let me ask you this. Did Jesus not get delivered from Gethsemane because he didn't have enough faith? You remember the prayer in Gethsemane, right? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. No, you, you know what faith did there? Faith, Jesus heard the clear word of the Father. This is the only way, son. This is my way. And Jesus said, not my will but yours be done. And he went to his death. How about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? where he's got this thorn in the flesh. He says, three times, I, I asked the Lord to take it. Did he not have enough faith? Like he just couldn't get up there, enough faith for God to take the thorn? No. What did God say to him? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul's like, now he engages his faith. Oh, Lord, yeah. I see I needed this thorn. Thank you for it. I rejoice in it because I know it keeps me from pride. It keeps me from terrible things. So it's the prayer of faith. This is not some biblical formula that we're trying to figure out to begin to bend God's will to our own. Man, I'll just say this. It would be a disaster if God gave me everything I wanted. Man, in James 4, do you remember what we learned? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I got no clue about that. I'd rather he drive and not me. And so I want to know his will and I'm going to pray his will. I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to confidently cry out for His will. I'm going to pray that. There's a portion here about confession of sins that we're just not going to have much time for. But but you'll notice, just real quickly, let me say a few things about it. If we're, verse 16, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. You may be healed. Um, there, there's obviously a spiritual element here in in weakness and in struggle and in sin that that you should be. Listen, you, you should confess your sins to God, first of all. 1 Timothy 2.5 says you don't need a priest. That There's one mediator between God and man. And that's Jesus Christ. And so you can confess your sins to God. But here, here's what it says in Proverbs 28.13, that he who covers his sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will, will find life. They'll find healing. They'll find, they'll find mercy. Okay? So you know, what, you know what confessing your sins to other believers does? Man, it, it means you're dealing with it. There is power in dragging your sin out into the open to other people, okay? It means you're dealing with it. It means you're not gonna live in it habitually. It means you're, you're appropriating the gospel. It means you, you're, you're serious about accountability, about not living in sin. Again, what a beautiful picture of the church here. So, so if I could just come back and just summarize, all right? So what's he saying here? He's saying we ought to pray for one another, okay? Ask, ask for God's power and grace for you, for others, them for you. 
We had to anoint with oil. We had to give the practical relief that you, you, that you have at hand. And we had to deal with spiritual issues. That's the whole confession of sin. I wish we had had more time to, to dive into that. But we, we should deal with the spiritual. So what are you doing? You're, you're praying. You're asking for God's power. You're dealing with physical issues. And then you're dealing with the spiritual issues. That's what we're to be for one another. And I just want to finish with this, this Elijah. Okay, this example of Elijah. There's this baiting here that, that James does where he's like, Dan, don't you see the power that is at your disposal in prayer? Okay, and then he gives this example of Elijah who stops this drought. What I want to do is I want to finish by reading that passage in 1 Kings 18, okay? Uh, here we go. Uh, this is 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said, remember, it has not rained for three and a half years. Horrific drought, okay? And he says to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. And he goes back and says, there's nothing. Seven times he sends him, okay? Verse 44, at the seventh time, he said, behold, there's a little cloud like a man's hand that's rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say they have, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. A couple things I want to talk about there. First of all, you know, Ahab, or, or, or Elijah deals with the sin of the nation first. Okay, he deals with sin first. Right before this passage, what has happened? Well, they've been at Mount Carmel where they, where they just fire came down from heaven and they slaughtered what was it, 500 prophets of Baal, 500 idolatrous prophets of Baal. So, so first of all, I think there's some symbolism here of Elijah dealing with sin first. We know from the scriptures there will keep, there's things that will keep you from powerful prayer. Psalm 66, 18. It says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, husbands, live with an understanding, live, live with your wives in an understanding way um, because they're uh, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, the heirs of you, the grace of, Christ, uh, grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So, so we see in the scriptures, your prayers can be hindered by unconfessed, undealt with sin, which I think is why he says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So number one, Elijah dealt with sin first. And number two, he persevered in prayer. Man, I love the picture of him there, knelt down, head between his knees, praying, go look. <laughs> He's watching, go look. Comes back, nothing, man, nothing. Go look again, go look again. Praying, praying, go look again. Seventh time, he sees this little cry. He's like, all right, God's gonna do it. You better get in your chariot because it's gonna rain. Flood's coming. persevered in prayer. Lincoln, let's do this. Let's do this. Don't forget about March memory. Usually I have a lot of time to hammer you with this, and I did not today. So don't, don't take advantage of my weakness by neglecting this, okay? Put the word of God in your hearts. Father, I just pray for... Um, I pray, Father, for a movement of prayer across our congregation. I pray that this morning that people would, would go and pray for other people, that they would ask for prayer. God, I pray that in the parking lot there would be prayer. I pray that in the, in the minivan on the way home there would be prayer. God, I pray that tonight in the small groups there would be prayer. I pray, Father, that in, in bedrooms and in living rooms and in kitchens across our 
congregation that there would be prayer. Father, I pray that um, we might go to the sick, we might go to the, the struggling, that we might go to the weak, that we might go to the depressed, that we might go to the, those in sin, and that we might pray. God, give us humility to confess sin to one another, to get things right. God, I pray for those that feel like they don't know how to pray. God, please teach them how to pray. Father, I pray for those that feel they're too prideful to ask for help. God, show them the blessing of humility. Father, please move in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?